Yo, what's up, Ace How you guys doing tonight? Yes. Man, I'm so pumped to be here tonight. And in case you missed it, it is 2017. Can I get a whoop whoop? All right, I don't know why I did that, but it sounded good at the moment. And uh, man, I'm excited. We're jumping into this new series, Identity Crisis. And here's why. Because identity, we believe, is something that we should talk about at the beginning of the year because your identity is connected to almost everything in your entire life. In fact, your identity is who you are. It is who you really are. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down in your notes. And this is sort of a tagline for our entire series. We're going to be mentioning this every week, but here it is. Our identity drives our activity. Our identity drives our activity. Let me explain what that means. What that means is our activity, the things that we do in our life, the way we actually live our life, is driven by who we are. So who we are has a major effect on the way we live, the activity of our life. So for example, if the activity of your life is racked up in addiction, is racked up in depression, is wrapped up in isolation, is wrapped up in a whole bunch of nonsense and selfishness, those things, those activities in your life have a direct reflection to your identity, who you are, that who you are is influencing the way you're actually living your life out. And so this is why we have to have the conversation about identity. And the same is true. When your life is reflecting and you're living out love and you're living out forgiveness and you're living out unity and you're living out care for people, the activity of your life is a reflection of your identity, who you are and what your identity is actually rooted in. And we're going to have a conversation about this tonight. In fact, in your notes, I got a little tagline that I want you to write down just for you to sort of get your mind around this concept of the reason why the Bible talks a lot about identity. And we're going to jump into the scripture tonight to see what the scripture actually teaches us about what it means to be rooted in a relationship with God and why that is so significant as it relates to actually who we are as a person, who we really are as a person. So if you got your notes, you can write this down. And here it is, and I'll, I'll have it up on the screens. When identity is rooted in a relationship with God, you are living as God intended, and you are content. When your identity is rooted in anything else, you will never be content. Let me say that again. When identity is rooted in a relationship with God, you are living as God intended, and you are content. When identity is rooted in anything else, you will never be content. Now, let me give a little caveat to that statement. When your identity is rooted in your relationship with God, as God intended it to be, that you will be content, that doesn't mean that you're not going to go through trial in your life. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through difficulty. It doesn't mean that you're not going to go through pain. But what happens is, is that when you're in those seasons of your life of trial, difficulty, and pain, because your life is rooted into your relationship with God, you are content not because of the external circumstances that are going on around you, but you are content because of the internal Savior that you have within you. 
That it doesn't matter what you're going through, that God is with you. You know that he has your back and your relationship with God leads to this contentment no matter your circumstances. In fact, one of the most compelling things to me as I read through the Bible and I read through scripture is story after story after story of people trying to find contentment in so many things in their life. And when they finally find it in their relationship with God, you finally see them living as God had intended for them to live regardless of the circumstances that are going on around them. And I want to challenge you guys with that tonight. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 1. Because I think if we're going to talk about identity, we should start at the very beginning and see how God even created us and how God intended things to be from the very beginning. So if you got your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 1. And as you're flipping over there, you can actually, uh, you know, just start at the very beginning. It's the first book of the Bible. In fact, Genesis means beginnings. And so this is the beginning. And I thought that since we're at the beginning of a new year, it'd be cool to jump right into the beginning of the Bible. Now, let me give you what's going on here. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see God creating. And God, we know that the scripture teaches us there's seven days of creation. The first six days, God is actually doing a bunch of the creating. And on the seventh day, God rests. And this is known as the seven days of creation. Now, on the sixth day, God creates man. He creates Adam and he puts him in a garden. He creates Eve. And when you get to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27, I want to read it to you. And so you can see what it says. It says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So this is how God created us. He created us in his image. What does that mean? What does it mean when we say as Christians, when we say as the people of God that we are the image of the living God? What does it mean that we bear his image, that we are image bearers of God, that God created us in his image? N.T. Wright um, has an analogy of an angled mirror. And let me explain it to you. I know uh, my, uh, my daughter, uh, uh, whose name's Abby, and she is the sweetest, most beautiful thing in the whole entire world. I love her so much. I just want to squeeze her right now. Anyway, sorry. It's weird, getting weird. Um, and I love my little girl. And what's cool is that we have this little bedtime routine every night with Abby, you know, where, you know, you give her a bath and then, you know, we read a couple books and then she goes and, and does this thing that we call get water by yourself. And someone say, go get water by yourself because... If we try to go in there when she's getting water, she's like, no, daddy, no, no, I want to get it by myself. I want to get water by myself. She's three years old, not even, and she's already kicking me out. You know what I'm saying? She's a teenager already. What's up? And so she's kicking me out of the bathroom. And so what I'll do is I'll actually, because she'd get a little cup out of the bathroom and climb up on her little step stool and start pouring water out of the sink. And what I do is I actually get myself in the hallway where I'm outside of the doorway so she can't see me and I can't see her, but I can see the mirror. And so I'm actually, from the angle that I see her, I can see her in the mirror. But here's the cool thing. She can also see me. Now, she's fine if I'm out of the room. She just doesn't want me in the room. And so I see her in the mirror, and she sees me in the mirror. And so she's pouring the water, and she's staring at me. <laughs> she's just looking. And so what do I do? I start making faces. And I'm like... And I start making faces at my daughter. And what does she do? She laughs, and then she starts making faces back at me. Because she's awesome. And so we start making faces back and forth at each other. And when she's laughing and I'm laughing and then she comes down and she runs up to me every time. And she throws her arms around me, gives me this big hug and I pick her up. And then we sing Jesus Loves Me and we lay her down. It's really sweet. It's awesome. We do that every night. That's a part of our nighttime routine. But I want you to see this picture and get this picture of an angled mirror. That this is what it means to be the image bearers of God. That God created humans like an angled mirror. 
that literally we as humans, as followers of Jesus, as followers of God, that God literally reflects his love, his justice, his forgiveness, his care for the world through us to all creation. That, that we are actually the conduit in which the world gets to see who God truly is. And in the same way, how the world sees and all of creation sees the goodness, holiness, justice, and love of God is that when they look at us, we are a reflection of him. And this is the picture of what it means to be an image bearer of God. And what's cool about this is, is that we see Adam and Eve when they're created in the garden and they're image bearers of God and they're bearing the image of God. We see that there's this perfect relationship that exists between them and God. There's no brokenness in their relationship. And listen, they are perfectly content. The Bible says that Adam walked with God in the middle of the day. They partook of the fruit that was in the garden. They enjoyed life. There was no contention that was in their life that, that, that brought any angst to them. There was no depression. There was no, no, uh, no sin. Nothing in their world was off balance. Everything was intended as God had intended it. In fact, in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1, the scripture says this. And when God looked at it, he saw that it was very good. Bless you. It was very good. Things were, intended, were how God had intended them to be. But then something happened. We know this when you get to Genesis chapter 3. That Satan the, uh, disguised himself as a serpent and he came and he tempted Adam and Eve. And the interesting thing about this temptation in which Satan tempts Adam and Eve is that he tempts them with their contentment. Remember, they're already perfectly content in their relationship with God. But he comes along and he says, hey, listen, I know God told you not to eat from this tree. Hey, you can eat from any other tree. God didn't set you up to fail, but he said not to eat from this tree. And he, and he, says, he says, but listen, listen, God doesn't want you to eat from this tree because he knows that if you eat from this tree you will be like him he tempts them with their contentment what he says to them is this hey listen um i know that you're satisfied in your relationship with god but god is holding out on you actually there's something more over here that you can have that'll even bring more contentment than a relationship with god and all you have to do is just eat of this fruit now let me tell you something Students and adults, this is exactly how God tempts, or how Satan tempts us today. He doesn't tempt us with an apple, but he tempts us with our contentment in life. This is what he does. He doesn't dangle an apple in front of us, but he says this. Hey, I know that this pastor up here is talking about you got the full contentment and full joy and full peace in this relationship with God, just like Adam and Eve. But here's the deal, guys. Um, listen, money can make you pretty happy too. And he starts dangling it in front of us. And he says, listen, 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 listen. Money can make you more content. And we start thinking that money is something that I have to have to be more content. In fact, have you ever thought before, man, if I just had a couple extra grand in my pocket right now, I'd be much more content in life? Okay. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's me. You know what I'm saying? He, can he, he tempts us with our contentment. He says, listen, man, I, I know this whole relationship with God, but listen, 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 listen. Well, you'd be much more content if you had that guy you really liked. 
if you had that relationship with that girl that you really liked, you'd be much more content if you had more of that notoriety, more of that popularity. You would be content if you had more of whatever it happens to be. And Satan begins to tempt us with those things that are in this world that he lies to us and tells us that we are going to be more content if we have. And here's the problem. We buy the lie, just as Adam and Eve did. Now, here's what's crazy about that story. When you think about it, were Adam and Eve more content after they ate from that fruit? Nope. Did Satan follow through on his promise? Nope. In fact, the Bible says Satan is the father of lies. And he lied to them and he lies to us with this same type of lie. And he deceived them and sin entered the world. And sin entered the world and it caused all kinds of trouble. See, sin put a barrier between us and God. And sin did not just affect the things that we do, but it affects who we are. See, the Bible would teach us that we are sinners by nature, nature because every single one of us have been born from the seed of Adam and Eve. We carry that sin nature. So you're born from the, sin, uh, from the seed of Adam and Eve all the way through. I'm born from the seed of Adam and Eve. And as a result of that, the Bible tells us that all have sinned. And, by, and we are not just sinners because of the things that we do, but we are sinners because of who we are, that literally sin affected our identity. And this is why for many of us, we have identity crisis moments in our life. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Our identity is broken. Our identity is broken because of sin. I want you to look to your neighbor and say, you broke. I want you to look to your other neighbor and say, not as broke as you. (laughs) See, sin fractured things between us and God. Sin fractured things between us and God. Here's here's a question for you. How many of you guys have ever fractured a leg before? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever fractured or broken an arm before? (laughs) How many of you have ever fractured or broken a nose before? (laughs) How many of you have ever fractured or broken anything else that I didn't mention? How about this? How many of you have ever had a fractured or broken heart? Say, aww. Hug somebody next to you that's raising their hand right now. Show them some love. You know, tell them you're sorry. No kissing back there, couples. No kissing. (laughs) They're like, did he say hug? I'm just kidding. (laughs) You got to watch out for the couples. You know what I'm saying? They're always looking for excuses. Even in church. What's wrong with them? (laughs) We're all broken because of sin. Because what's happened is, is that It has fractured our relationship with God, which is what leads us to more discontentment. It leads our identity to want to search for other things. Now listen, I want want to to explain to you what this brokenness looks like and how God sees this brokenness in our life. Because I think sometimes we are like, oh yeah, okay, so I'm sinful. And you know, the Bible tells us sin can't be in the presence of God. And I don't really understand what that looks like. And I'm going to show you what it looks like. I don't know how many of you guys a few months back watched the Rio Olympic Games, but I'm an Olympic fanatic. Where are my Olympics people at? Yes, and, uh, and so I'm watching the Olympic Games, and there was, uh, there was uh, a big story headline that came out of the Olympics. The Rio Olympics was a uh, French uh, gymnast guy who was doing the vault, and he broke his leg. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that deal? Now, here's the deal. I'm going to put the picture on the screen just so y'all can see it, so check it out. 
bruh. <laughs> that is brutal. <clears throat> I'll be honest with you. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's like this. I can't look. If you get queasy, don't look. I don't want to be cleaned up throw up tonight. You know what I'm saying? Now listen, listen, listen. Pay attention, pay attention. I want you to get this. Check this out. Check this out. We're going to leave it on the screen just for a second. <laughs> yes. All right, listen, listen, listen. So, what happens is, is that in our life, because of sin, our core nature and our identity is broken. And it is so grotesque, so nasty, because of what it has done to the core of who we are, that God can't even look upon it. It's why God had to send his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross not for his sin because he never sinned. In, in our place for our sin. So that we can now have a relationship with God through Jesus. That Jesus died for our sins so that when we put ourselves in a relationship with Jesus, Jesus makes us whole so that now we can be in the presence of God through Jesus. That Jesus in every chapter of the book of Hebrews says is the mediator between God and man. That the only way we could be in the presence of God because of our sin is because God has put us back together. Now, we can all agree that this dude's leg is not whole. Can I get an amen? amen. Right? Amen. This guy's leg is in two parts. Now, listen, it would be weird. I think it would be weird. Uh, actually, let me just say this. Because this guy's leg is in two, his leg is not functioning the way that it was designed to function and the way it was intended to function. And this is what sin does to our identity. It causes us to live our lives and function in a way that God never intended for it to function. This is why in our country right now we struggle with so many identity issues. It's about acceptance and we struggle with that. And we struggle with pressures all around our life. And listen, listen, we struggle with sexuality. These are identity issues. Top five issues in our nation right now, gender identity. We have a problem with the brokenness within our identity. And it would be so weird. Like this dude is not going to be at the Rio after party that night doing the whip and nay-nay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Ain't happening. He's going to the hospital. He's going to get that thing sewed up and put back together. Hopefully. Let me tell you what we do though. Let me tell you what we do. Check this out. This is what we do. What we do is this. What we do is, is that we get up. Can you imagine if this dude got up and his legs all crooked? And all the people started running. You can take the picture down. And all the, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Can't even pay attention. It's hard to balance like that. Can you imagine if this cat's leg, he stood up and all the medical people are coming to him. And he's like, dude, I'm all right, man. Nah, bro, I'm good, man. Dude, don't worry about it, bro. I'm good. Nah, dude, you need to lay down like we need to help you right now. Listen, listen. This is what happens in our identity. We have fractured, broken identities because of sin. And we're all walking around going, hey, man, I'm good. Everything's all right. Hey, accept me for who I am. This is just who I am. Bro, don't judge me. You're a bigot and a hater if you judge me. This is who I am. Listen, I don't want to be where I am 10 years from now. 
I don't want to be at the same place that I am now. I want to grow. I want to be different. I want to be more like Jesus. God is not okay with the way that you are. Because the way that you are is so grotesque to him in your sin that he can't even look at you. But God has provided a way through his son Jesus so he can have a relationship with you and so he can look at you. In fact, we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks on how God actually sees us once we put our faith in Jesus because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And it is unbelievably cool. And that leads us to the next point. If you're writing, take a note, you write this down. We attempt to build our identity. This is the message of our culture. The message of our culture is do what makes you happy, man. If it feels good, explore it. You be you. Don't let people judge you. And the truth is, we shouldn't judge, but one day we're going to stand before the judge. And God's already spoken on some of these things that we've become okay with, and we're okay with it because our identity is broken. God loved us so much that he died for us even while we were sinners. So it's not like God doesn't love us because we're broken. He loves us too much to leave us like this. He loves us too much. And so what we do is we try to build our identity. This is what we do. We try to build it. And how we build our identity is we, we, begin, to, we begin to say things like, um, all right, well, um, what is the most important thing about me? What do I want people to see me as? How do I want to see people uh, reflect me? And so we begin, we begin to build it. And we say, you know, man, um, um, uh, the most important thing about me and how people see me is people see that I'm pretty. <laughs> or people see that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm muscular. Right? Have you noticed this? If there's a guy at your school who is just straight up jacked, Anytime that dude's around, someone's always making a comment about the dude being muscular. And you know what I'm saying? Like, dang, bro, you've been working out? Dang, look at that guy's arms. You know, people are like taking selfies like with their arm versus his arm. They're holding their leg up to his arm. They're like, his arm is as big as my leg. And, and what happens is, is that that then can become for that guy the most important thing about him. He begins to say, dude, I'm going to work out so people still keep giving me that attention. I'm sweet. I'm caring. This is how I want people to see me. This is how I want to be reflected in my life. I'm popular. I want to be accepted. I'll do whatever it takes to get notoriety and popularity. And we begin to create and build this image in our life. What about sports? Man, I got, got to make the varsity team. Got to get the starting position. Got to make sure that the newspaper and you know, the, the news gets a hold of, of a story about me. Man, I really got to get that scholarship. We start building our identity, and these things start becoming the most important things about me. What about my academics? Man, I got my academics, and, you know, I'm, I'm smart. I want people to see me as smart. Where are my straight-A people at in the room? That's disappointing. <laughs> and some of you are lying. We need to pray for age 12 school. All right, here we go. And... Now, I'm not knocking you for making straight A's. Great job. But listen, listen. Listen, we have to be careful because academics can become our guidance about how many AP classes we're taking and how well we perform and what college we get into and are we going to get a scholarship. And this becomes the focus of our life because we believe that if I get that scholarship 
Or if I get, if I get that college that I want to go to, that's going to bring some contentment to my life. If I get that starting position or if I get on the varsity team or if I get some notoriety in the paper, that's going to bring some contentment in my life because people are going to give me the pat on the back. And I can continue to go on with all these different reasons and this is how it works. And then, and then there's that girl that you like and, you, and you're like, man, I really like that girl. I really like that guy. And, and uh, you know, man, if I had them in a relationship, this would build some serious contentment in my life because she is smoking hot. You know what I'm saying? Like that would make me happy. And so we begin to, you know, build and, and build and build uh, in our life all of these different things based on this or our social media and how people respond to our social media. And we like when people like us and we like when people follow us. And we like when people make comments about us and tell us how pretty we are on social media. I like when people tell me how pretty I am on social media. I don't know about you, but I like it. And that brings contentment to us in our life. We want people to acknowledge us. And what we do is we build. We build our identity. Now listen, this is important. The problem is, is that we build our identity on things that change. And things that change never last. The Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. And so we build our life on things that change. And things that change never last. And what happens? Well, that test that we studied really hard for and academics are a big deal for us. We got a D. Some of you would be happy with a D, let's be honest. You know what I'm saying? You're like, D, hey man, hey, that's passing, all right? That's passing. Or that college that you really wanted, they didn't want you. Or that varsity team that you wanted to make, well, you didn't make the team. Or you made the team, but you made the JV team, and all your friends made the varsity team. That's awkward. Or what about, uh, what about Bay? Things are going great with Bay. And then, oh, Bay, you won't believe what she did. Uh, she went to Panama City Beach for spring break. And she found another Bay. <laughs> Crazy. PCB. Relationship ruiner. And we didn't get the response to our social media post that we wanted to get. And all of a sudden, things in our life start getting a little shaky. I'm not sure you're supposed to touch it while you're pulling them out, but I am. I'm like preventing it from falling. And as you can see, holes start beginning to happen, and our life becomes more fragile. Why? Because we build our life on things that change, things that are fragile, things that are temporary, things that fade. And we build our life on that, and holes start popping around everywhere. And then we start trying to navigate. We start this balancing act of trying to balance everything. And we try to help make everybody think that everything's okay, but we're just limping around because our legs all jacked up. Actually, our identity's all jacked up. And we're trying to figure this whole life thing out. And things begin to fall apart for us. Until eventually one day, you know, uh, the wrong thing happens. And it all comes crashing down. You know what that's called? Identity crisis. That's what that's called. That's an identity crisis. We build, we build, we build, we've crashed. We build, we build, we build, we crash. We build, we build, we build, we crash. And the cycle continues for so many people. Listen, I know people in their 50s and 60s that are still building and building and building and crashing. It's built on my success, on my money, on my job, on my career. They build it on so many things in their life. And they continue to crash because they're building them, themselves and their future and their life on things that change. And they're not building their life on the things that matter. And then finding full contentment in their relationship with God. 
In fact, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. I want you to substitute house for identity or house for your life because this is what Jesus is trying to do. Jesus is telling a sort of a parable here and he's given this analogy and he's telling us, hey, listen, listen, listen. This is what your life is like. I want you to pay attention. And this is what he says. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. It was built on the right things. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house until it fell with a giant crash, with a great crash. Here's the point of this. What happens is that when you build your life and you build your identity on temporary things, things that change, things that move, when you build it on the sand, when the pains of life and the storms of life come, you can't stand. But when you build your life on the foundation of the rock, the rock, Jesus When you build your foundation on Jesus, then it always stands. No matter when the storms come, no matter what the winds do, no matter what the circumstances and situations in life happens, it doesn't matter because you are grounded and rooted in your identity in your relationship with God. So number three, what do we do with this? What is the solution? Here it is. You must have a born identity. Get it? Movie. Born identity. <laughs> Jason Bourne. And uh, here we go. You can write this down. Identity is birthed, not built. Identity is birthed, not built. See, on July 10th, 1981, one of the happiest days of my parents' life, I was born. One of the happiest days of my life, because I wouldn't be here if I was not born. And... Uh, That was a significant day for me because that's when I physically came into the world. And I lived my life all throughout my childhood and all throughout my adolescence, teenage years, trying to build my life on things that changed. I tried to build it on popularity. I tried to build it on sports. I didn't try to build it on academics, let me be clear. (laughs) Tried to build it on all of these different things in my life. And you you know what happened? I kept crashing. Yeah, alcohol poisoning twice my junior year of high school, almost died both times. My life was a mess. And then July 14th, 1998, I had a second birthday. It's my spiritual birthday. And on that day, I was at a camp listening to a guy. He was talking about a message just like I am. And I heard this message for the first time. And he said, listen, man, there's people, and they try to fill this hole in their, their heart with all of these different things, but nothing can fulfill that hole, fill that hole in your heart like Jesus. And he said, if you want to give your life to Christ, you can take this microphone. You can come up here and give your life to Christ in front of everyone. In fact, if you've been around age 12 before, you've heard that story. And I'm sitting in my chair. I'm like, there's no way I'm going up there and doing that. And the next thing you know, I'm standing up. And I'm walking to the front. And I'm weeping. And I was scared to death. I didn't know what to do. I knew when I went back, this girl was going to call me. And, you know, this dealer was going to call me. And, you know, and I knew all these things were going to be going down in my life because of the stuff that I was wrapped up in. And I made a decision that I was going to follow Jesus no matter what. And God changed my life. 
radically changed my life. I got to lead a bunch of my friends to Christ my senior year of high school. I was bringing 20 to 30 of my friends to church every single week because they could tell there was such a difference in me. In fact, that's why I'm a youth pastor now. Because six months after I became a Christian, I was 17 years old. Six months after I became a Christian, I was a senior in high school. It was in December. I started praying. I was like, God, I just want to ask you to save a few more of my friends that I go to high school with. Because I know I'm going to college and they're going to go to different colleges. And I'm probably never going to see them again or see them sporadically. And I don't have much time left to share your love with them and your truth with them. And God says, you know that burden you have for your friends and, and you know how they don't get it like you used to not get it and now you get it and you want them to get it? Well, for the rest of your life, you're going to help high school kids get it. That's what you're going to do. That's your mission. That's your purpose in your life. That's why I'm up here today. I had a born identity. I had a spiritual birthday. See, Jesus talked about this. In fact, he talked about it in John chapter 3. I believe maybe the most important chapter in all of the Bible. They're all important because they're all God's word. But if I had to pull one chapter out of the Bible, cut it out with me, put it in my pocket, and take it anywhere that I was going to go for the rest of my life, this would probably be the chapter of Scripture. And it starts out with this guy named Nicodemus who was a religious leader. And the religious people of this day, they missed the whole message of what God was trying to tell them all throughout the Old Testament. And the reason they missed it was they were trying to build their relationship with God. It was all about the things that they did and all the stuff that they went to and how much they prayed. And all they were doing is stacking blocks of religious activity, but they never changed their identity by putting their relationship with God and truly trusting him. And this Nicodemus, this religious guy who's been building, comes to Jesus and he says, Hey, Jesus, uh, I know something's different about you. And we pick up the story. This is what he says. He says this in verse, uh, in verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God, listen, listen, unless they are born again. He goes on, he says, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Now, what we know in the translation of that and what we understand about that is being born of water. The picture is that inside of the womb, you're in the, you know, the placenta that is full of water and then inside of the uterus. And that is where a baby is born. And so it's born of water, but then born of spirit is being born because we've been given a soul and we have to be born in our spirit. So basically, this is what he's saying. Listen, listen, every person has a physical birthday. But every person must have a spiritual birthday. For me, it was July 14th, 1998. What is it for you? Have you ever had that birthday? Have you ever fully surrendered your life to God? See, identity is born. It's birth. And this is what happens. What happens is we can't build our identity. What happens is, is that when we give our lives to God, we give our lives to Jesus... God then bursts in us a new identity. And the old identity goes away. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says it like this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Spiritually, you have been born again. 
In fact, we see all throughout scripture this picture given in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. It says this, yet to all who receive him, talking about Jesus, all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, believing in the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become the children of God. I love what it says in verse 13. Listen, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, like we didn't decide like together, mom and dad, to have a baby, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Not born in the natural, but born in the spiritual, born again. My question for you tonight is, have you ever been born again? Have you ever put your trust and faith in Jesus? Maybe if you're here tonight and you're like, you know what, to be honest with you, dude, what you're talking about here, this is what I'm doing. That's my story. And you need to stop building and you need to be born. So here's the challenge for you tonight. We're going to go into the last song and we're going to have a time of worship. But we want this to be a sacred moment of response. For some of us and people all over the world, they make decisions of new beginnings in the beginning of years, New Year's resolutions and all this stuff of commitments they're going to have. Maybe for you, it is a commitment to say this year is going to be different spiritually. This year, I'm going to surrender my life to God every single day. And so here's the challenge for you tonight. It's twofold. For those of you in here who've never given your life to Jesus, you never made that decision. You've never been born again. Or maybe you prayed some prayer. Maybe you've been to church. Or maybe you thought you've been a Christian. But truly, if you really think about it, the way you've been living your life, your identity doesn't line up with the activity of your life. And tonight, you need to be born again. You need to give your life to Jesus. We want to give you an opportunity to do that here in a minute. And when the song starts playing, all I want you to do is to take that little bulletin that you have with you. You can tear the card off. You can check, uh, receive Jesus as my personal Savior, accept Jesus, or however it's worded on there. Write your name on it. And then you can come up here. You can write your name on the, uh, on the board. And uh, I think we got some Sharpies that might be coming up here. And uh, you can write your name up here on the door. And every person whose name is on this door has said this year that they've given their life to Christ. And then you will make your way up those steps around the corner to the bistro table in the back. And there'll be some leaders back there that want to pray over you and pray for you in your new walk with God. And we, may, and we want to follow up with you and walk you through those next steps. Now, this response is twofold. If you're here tonight, you say, I need to give my life to Jesus. That's what you're going to do. And listen, it's not about some fancy prayer. It's just you basically saying to God, and you can say it there in your seat. You can say it there before you walk up. You can say it there as you walk up. And you can say, God, I need you to save me. I need to be born spiritually. I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I'm broken. I realize that I'm fractured. I realize that I have some junk in my life. In fact, the admission of a Christian is saying is not saying I'm perfect. It's saying I know I'm broken and I'm in need of a Savior. And Jesus, I need you to save me tonight. I want to challenge you to come up here and write your name on it and make that move. And for the rest of you, maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know what, man? There's some things that I've been building I'm a follower of Jesus, but to be honest with you, like Adam and Eve, Satan's kind of lured me away in some areas of my life. And though I know that Jesus is supposed to be the priority in my life, truthfully, I'm trying to find more contentment in sports or academics or a relationship or friendships or popularity or whatever it may be. And this is what I want you to do tonight. If you say that's you, I want you to have some new beginnings this year. I want you to make some commitments this year. I want you to come forward. Grab a Sharpie, take one of these Jenga blocks as a reminder. You can spread out up here in the front of the stage. You can spread out around the side over here. 
And I just want you to write the word. Maybe for you, it's baseball. Baseball. Maybe for you, it is boyfriend. I don't know what it is for you. Everybody is going to be different. It might be something that we hadn't even mentioned. But it's the well that you go to to get contentment in your life. Anything other than Jesus, you will never be content. So you'll pick this up. You'll write that on there. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this home with you. I want you to put it in a place where you can see it every day. Maybe it's on the counter in your bathroom. Maybe it's on your makeup stand. I don't know what a makeup stand is, but I don't wear makeup. So put it wherever you're going to see it every day. And this is what I want you to do. Every time you see it, I want you to say, God, I'm committing to put you before that. Committing to put you before that. And just spend some time praying and asking God to take that from you. Because it ain't going to be easy. That's why you need the reminder. So that's the response tonight as we go into this song.